Right on. Thank you, Brittany. Hey, can we give it up for our worship team, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we just want to say welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, if you're new here, sort of checking out the Mustard Seed Church. Again, we want to say welcome and feel no, this is our heart, feel no pressure, okay? Like we have the, you mix, you've heard the tie box and the connect cards and all that stuff. Yes, we would love for you to fill one out so we can preach the call to you or take you to lunch or something like that, get to know you. But again, feel no pressure. And uh, also, if you're here, uh, maybe on this journey of trying to figure out who Jesus is for you, you know, we also say that this is a place for that to happen where there is no pressure as well. Feel free to come with all questions and doubts and whatever that might look like in your life as well. So, anyway, uh, I wanted to get started. Uh, today we're continuing in our Advent series. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, Leif so wonderfully started us off with Hope, and so we're going to light the hope, hope candle this morning. Light, in Jesus' name. Okay. And then last week, Rayma was awesome with faith. She led us in the faith. And then today is joy. I get the pink candle. Real men wear pink, right? Okay. All right. Joy. So today we're continuing in our sermon series on Advent. And uh, really what we talk about with Advent is this, all this preparation that's leading up to the birth of Christ. And uh, again, you heard Leif talk about hope and the hope of God's people in the past and how we can even have hope now. You've heard Raymond talk about faith, the, the journey of Mary and Joseph and the faith that they had, remember she talked about mountaintop kind of faith and even mustard seed kind of faith, right? Mustard seed kind of faith, I love that. <laughs> Today we're looking at joy. And all of this, again, is just the preparation of the coming of Jesus, that he is the reason for the season, okay? I love that mainly because it rhymes. And uh, but he is the reason for the season. And so today, let's see. I lost my spot. See, I try to tell a joke and look what happens. Alright, so today, Advent, enjoy. Uh, I want to start off by saying, you know, there's been much debate in our country as of recent here lately. And it might not be what you think it is about. There's been all this debate about the political climate that we're in and the racial tension and COVID-19 or Omicron or all this other new variant stuff that's coming right. All this debate around all of this stuff. The debate is not around that. The debate, most recently, this time of year in our country is how early is too early to put up Christmas decorations? <laughs> how early is too early to put up Christmas decorations? There was an article that I read on the Today Show that said, uh, if you're itching to break out the Christmas lights before you even carve the Thanksgiving turkey, go ahead. Psychologists say it might make you happier. There was a British website called Unilad, and it said this, that uh, trimming a tree, trimming the tree a few weeks early uh, in 2017 reported that people who decorated earlier are simply tapping into the excitement of the holidays before the rest of us, which makes them happier, okay? Psychologist Deborah Sereny 
confirm that for a lot of us, Christmas is a magical time. It's a time of innocence, and it's a time of joy. And so I'm here to encourage you that as soon as November starts next year, rock the Christmas season. You know what I'm saying? Even before Thanksgiving gets here, go ahead and just live it up. Because it's a time of innocence and it's a time of joy. Or what we would call Christmas cheer. You know, it's the holiday season and all that good stuff. And if we look at our lives, there are a number of things around us that can bring us joy. Time with friends and family, Hallmark movies. Who's watching Hallmark movies right now? Right? Yes. No, no dudes raise their hand at all. <laughs> all the ladies are like, amen. Yeah. No dudes raise their hand. <laughs> Hallmark movies, Christmas lights, presents, company Christmas parties, hot chocolate, and my favorite trio, food, football, and naps. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Food, football, and naps. There are a number of things this year that can bring us joy. But the tension is that we can find is also on the other side of this coin is that even though there are a number of things that can bring us joy, the reality of, is that in life, life is not always joyful. Can you agree with me on that as well? Life is not always joyful. Maybe for you, you've been wronged at your job or in another relationship or with somebody that you know you've been wronged or you have little kids that seem to be out of control and you're trying to figure out how to parent that is not a joyful time okay maybe you're in later years of your life and you're trying to figure out man what purpose do i have in life now what purpose do i have in life now Maybe you're in college working multiple jobs to pay rent that is actually higher than the mortgage, but you're not in a financial situation to actually be able to buy a house. So you're kind of stuck. Like this is something that's happening in our country right now. Any, any young folks in here that feel that? Right? Yeah? Yeah. Maybe you have health struggles that never go away. It's hard to be joyful. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Or something that's been on the rise within our country is called a, a thing such as called a family estrangement. Have you ever heard of family estrangement? What they're saying is that it occurs when at least one family member intentionally uh, distanced themselves from at least another family member because of a negative relationship. Family estrangement. There was research that suggests that nearly 30% of adults in America... 30%, one out of three, said that they experienced family estrangement in one way or another with a family member. That families are distancing themselves from one another, not talking to one another. It's hard to have joy when life is hard. And I'm wondering if this morning... Some of those things that I read off the list, if one of those struck you, maybe even a little more personally. And as I'm saying that, you can say, yeah, Wayne, that, it's hard to have joy in something like that. Even if none of those really related to you this morning, my question is for you, where would you say your joy meter is at? If you think about your life and you're like, man, this was the highest moment. Where, this, is the, this is the time in my life when my joy was the highest. 
And this was the time in my life when my joy was the lowest. Where right now do you feel like your joy meter is at? Could it use a little bump up? This morning we're going to look at joy, the coming of Jesus, and how that relates to you and to me this morning. And uh, before we get into that, we have a little video that we want to show you that's going to start us off. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphersune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness, and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of life. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. So naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. And people find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them free. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later, biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles or by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads, happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. 
Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final this is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. Mmm, isn't that good? I love the Bible project. As you heard him mention in there, good news of great joy. That's where we're going to land today. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 8 through 12, and we'll have it up on the screen if you want to follow along with us. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Good news of great joy. The first thing I want to highlight to you this morning, the first point is joy because. Joy because. As you heard in the video, he talked about we can have joy because of wine. Joy because of children. Joy because of marriage. Joy because of good friends. And when we look at the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, we see this theme of joy because of God's promises. Joy of God's promises, and especially when God's promises come to pass. A couple of passages I want to have for you to highlight. Genesis chapter 21. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he said. Check this out. As he said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Keep going to the next slide, please. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. This is Sarah rejoicing with joy because of God's promises. The next one is Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. Anybody doing that with their father-in-law? Okay. No, I'm not the only one. All right. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro, check it out, rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Again, this theme of rejoicing 
because of God's promises. That God's word is true. That God's promises come to pass. And when we look at the Gospel of Luke, we see that the angels say, uh, good news, we come with good news of great joy. And this good news that they're talking about here is a promise that we see all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture we see this promise of the good news that one day the King and the Messiah will come and He will deliver His people. That one day God's kingdom will come and He will rule and reign and He will be with His people. And so then the angels show up and they say, hey, this day has come. This good news has come with great joy. The king of the world that we've been waiting for. Joy because of God's promises. There's not only joy in God's promises for them then, but also for me and for you now. Real quickly, I want to read a couple of scriptures, just like popcorn version. We don't even have it on the screen, so just track along with me. Of God, some of God's promises for me and for you. He says, come to me all who are weary, weary, and I will give you rest. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. All of these are promises. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. All of these promises are for me and for you today. There's an article written by Pepperdine University that stated that there are 7,487 promises in the Bible related from God to humankind. 7,487 promises that God has made to humankind. And this whole conversation about the promises of God in some small way remind me of the promises that I've made. And the other day I was talking with Maddie about this. And uh, when she was younger, I told her, I said, hey, every time you ride in the front seat of the car, you can be the DJ. This promise that I made to her. So what she does is she makes a note of it in her phone that on this day, at this time, Dad said that every time she rides in the car, she can be the DJ. I said, why'd you write it down? Why'd you do that? She's like, because I wanted to have it. So I could use it in case you change your mind. <laughs> you have to keep you have to keep your promise. This is the thing when it comes to you and to me and God. His promises are true. His promises never fail. We don't have to hold his feet to the fire and say, Lord, you have to. He wants to. And this is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, I think we might have it on the screen, Paul says this, for all the promises of God. How many of the promises? Can you say it with me? All. No, not 7,000. Well, I guess yes, 7,000. Okay. This is why I'm going to do the little test, okay? <laughs> For all the promises of God, find their yes in Him. 
All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And so the angels show up and say, I got good news of great joy. That God's promises are true and our King has come for His people. And all of our promises, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Joy because. And so if you're here today and man, you've sort of been maybe hanging on to some of these promises. God, you said you'll never leave me for, nor forsake me, but gosh, it feels like you're merely miles away. You said that you'll finish this work that you started in me, but Lord, it feels like more and more I struggle with sin, or I have these struggles with my kids, or I have these struggles with my job. Will you finish the work? Will you walk through with me through the valley? All of the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Jesus. Joy because God's promises are true. And they're true for you today. This is why we rejoice for this time of year that our King has come. The second thing that we see is joy, even though. Joy, even though. As we look at the passage in Luke chapter 2, there's a lot happening behind the scenes that you wouldn't just pick up just by reading it. Let me explain some of it to you. Mary and Joseph. Raymond talked about last week how Mary and Joseph had to journey 90 miles through all this rough terrain, through this less than ideal weather, through the less than ideal circumstances of being pregnant and riding on a donkey. Anybody done that? No, okay. Less than ideal, right? Showing up to this barn sort of thing, you can't find a place to stay, baby in a manger, less than ideal situation. We see the shepherds in this story. Just a little bit about the shepherds. The shepherds were a nobody. In the culture in that time and age, the shepherds were nobody. They were poor. For the Jewish leaders, they were considered uh, unclean because of their work around animals, because of they worked so much, they never had time to go to the temple. They never had time to observe the Sabbath. So they were considered unclean. It was like sinners, tax collectors, and shepherds was the pecking order. And how low could you go? They were a nobody. And then the angels. This is what I love about God. This is what I, I love the way God works. The angels didn't show up to the Jewish leaders. The angels didn't show up to the temple. They didn't show up to the priests, to the pastor, to the worship team, to the elders. They showed up to the lowly. To the nobodies. To the poor. To the ones that are criticized. And they said, hey, I got good news of great joy. God's promises are true. They came to people.
people who many considered less ideal to a situation that was less ideal. They said, here is great joy. Joy even though it was a less than ideal. See, for many of us in our country and in our culture, for us to have joy, our situation uh, has to be all right. We have to have the right car, the right house, the right job, the right spouse, the right kids, the right church that I go to. Everything has to be in line. If everything lines up and everything around us agrees with us, and there's no confrontation, then my joy is complete. But what we see in this text is that joy, even though it's a less than ideal situation with less than ideal people, and they say, have great joy. Turn off your phones. That was my phone. <laughs> What this means in here, what this means is that uh, there can be great joy by what God is doing even in the midst of our circumstances. There can be great joy by what God is doing even in the midst of our circumstances. Hear me out this morning. I want you to catch this. That even if things aren't going well in your life right now, even if things aren't going the way you want it in your life right now, we can still have joy. As he said in the video, we can still choose joy because God is still at work. And his promises are true. And how this looks in my life is uh, we were in Durango, church planning, and then we moved uh, on faith. Stepping out on a limb, down to Baton Rouge, applying for a senior pastor job at a Baton Rouge vineyard. Before I even got the job, we moved. And when I got there, they said, you don't have the job. And I was like, oh, that didn't work out like I thought it would. <laughs> and so now here we are in Baton Rouge, and I'm just working a normal 9 to 5 job. And more and more, I felt this longing in me that God has called me to be a pastor. And so we were there for a year working in Baton Rouge, and then we ended up moving back to Durango. And the church in Durango said, hey, we can only hire you part-time. I'm like, gosh, this just keeps going south, you know? And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to go get a job working construction, which, by the way, uh, we've been working on our house for a year now. I, I don't have construction experience. You get what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? Like, hey, what's this light switch do? I don't know. You just flip it. You know, why ain't working? I don't know. Flip it the other way. I don't know. What you know? I have no construction experience. So I get a job working construction, and this is what the guy has me doing. He has me painting five days a week for 10-hour days. Some of you are like, hey, man, I love painting. I hate painting. <laughs> I'm not a detail-oriented kind of guy, okay? I'm more of a con uh, demolition crew kind of guy, right? <laughs> this wall needs to be taken down. Great. I got it, you know? Take this corner. What? 
You know what I'm saying? And so this dude had me tape and trim and windows and hinges and doorknobs. And I mean, just every little thing I had to tape it. And then he gives me this little roll of paper and she says, all right, now paint it. And I'm making like peons for money. And it was just driving me crazy. But part of me was like, gosh, I want to provide for my family. This is, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to hype myself up. Man, you're going to be the best painter, Wayne. <laughs> you know, like I'm trying to do the self-talk stuff. Like, man, you about to paint this room. <laughs> Woo! You know? And to be honest with you, all kidding aside, I really struggle in this season. Because here we are moving back again to Durango, and I'm like, God, did we mess this up? And here I am working part-time for a job and working part-time construction, and I'm wrestling with my identity of like, I'm 35 years old, and this is where I landed now. And so much of me was like, God, where are you? He felt so distant from me. And one day, painting, trim, ah, I still hates me. I had this deep, overwhelming sense that even though my situation is less than ideal, God is working in my life. And can I tell you, my life became a witness on the job because I would put on worship music and my AirPods and just sing loud. <laughs> you know? Like Eden, up singing up here, but like 10 times worse, right? <laughs> bless the Lord, bless the Lord. You know, people walking in like, what's up with that dude? You know? <laughs> Teaching me patience. Teaching me to be faithful with the little things. Even though my situation was less than ideal than what I wanted it to be, God was still working. He was still using it. And I honestly worshiped my way through it. <laughs> On a more serious note, when we look at the life of Paul, as he mentioned in this video, we see Paul was in prison. And I read some history stuff on Paul in prison, what it might have been looking like when he wrote to the church, the Philippian church. And this is what some of the historical facts came up. Paul may have spent as much as 25% of his time as a missionary in prison. 25% of his time as a missionary in prison. Imprisonment was preceded by being stripped naked and then flogged. A humiliating, painful, bloody ordeal. The bleeding wounds went untreated. Prisoners sat in painful leg or wrist chains. Mutilated, bloodstained clothing was never replaced, even in the cold of winter. Most cells were dark, especially the inner cells of a prison, like the one Paul and Silas inhabited in Philippi. Unbearable cold, lack of water, cramped quarters, 
and sickening stench from the few toilets made sleeping difficult and waking hours miserable. Prison food, when available, was poor, and most prisoners had to provide their own food from outside sources. This is why when you read the, God, the, uh, the New Testament writings from Paul, he's thanking the church for sending them support. They're sending him food because he has to provide for his own food from prison. While in prison, Paul writes to the Philippian church and ten times in his writing, I read this the other day, ten times in his writing, he mentions the word joy or rejoice. In prison, writing to the church, and he's just overflowing with this language of joy and rejoice. And he says this in Philippians 2, and it's just mind-boggling when you catch the whole picture of it. In Philippians 2, 17, he says, Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Here he is in the prison in these conditions, and he says, even if I am to die, my life to be poured out as a sacrificial offering, I rejoice. Joy even though he was in prison. One New, one New Testament scholar says that joy is an attitude that God's people adopt not because of their circumstances, but because of their hope and faith in God's promises. I'm going to say that again. Joy is an attitude that God's people adopt not because, of joy, not because of their circumstances, but because of their hope and faith in God's promises. And it just so happens that Two weeks ago we talked about hope. Last week we talked about faith. This week we're talking about joy. We choose joy. Not because of our circumstances, but because of our hope and faith in God's promises for you and for me. Because God is bigger than our circumstances. Amen? Now what this doesn't mean is that we ignore, we ignore the sorrow. And we ignore the pain. We don't set it and forget it. I don't know why I said that. I tell my girls that. Set it and forget it. We don't ignore it. We don't stuff it. We don't set it to the side. That's neither healthy or helpful. But as you said in the video, what it does mean is that by the life and love of Jesus, by His coming... This good news that is good for me and you today, we can experience joy because of the promises of God. Even in our sorrow. Even in our struggle. Joy because, and joy even though. 